0: Hello and welcome to the Christian Theology Podcast. My name is Shane Himes, and today is the first day of the Christian Theology Podcast. I am so excited to share this project with you all. It has been a very long time in the making, as has the project that produces this project, that being the Aletheia Initiative. The Aletheia Initiative Incorporated is a company that produces both this podcast as well as the Political Science Deniers podcast in addition to some written content and various things for YouTube. But if you want to know more about that, you can visit our website. Uh, It has plenty of information there. But for today, we're going to focus solely on this podcast and this project. So in this episode, as an introduction, I would like to ask the question, why has evangelical theology left so many people wanting more from their faith? Because I think that the answer to that question, and really the question itself, is the, in large part at least, the motivation for this particular project. So that's what we're going to explore in today's episode. Before we do, I would like you to allow me to introduce myself very briefly and uh, talk about a little bit of my background and what we're going to be doing in this project. So again, my name is Shane Himes. I grew up in a small town in central Arkansas. I grew up in the uh, free will Baptist tradition, though I am right now a the senior minister at the North Central Church of Christ in Bloomington, Indiana. So the Churches of Christ are sometimes called the Stone Campbell Movement. or sometimes called the American Restoration Movement. If you've grown up in the South, especially if you go to a building and it says Church of Christ on it, Uh, There's a good chance, though, it doesn't necessarily have to be because there's others that do try to claim the name as well, but there's a good chance that that's the group that I'm talking about. Um, But, you know, I've got a lot of friends in a lot of different places from a lot of different Christian backgrounds and denominations, and so really my focus is more ecumenical in nature. I want to reach a wide array of people. I want to reach people from all different Christians and denominations and explore the thought of many great thinkers throughout Christian history and try to apply the best of the great tradition to our current times and some of the current theological questions that we may have today. So I I grew up free will Baptist. Uh, My mom was in the Assemblies of God growing up. My dad was in the conservative Churches of Christ growing up. And if you aren't familiar with the term conservative churches of Christ. It's not really a, a reference to politics in any way. It's really not even a reference to more of the mainstream conservative versus liberal um, theological debates that take place and like Protestantism and such. Uh, really, a conservative church of Christ is just somebody or a congregation that, uh, you know, they're not as as open to other groups. They're more exclusively minded. uh, They're a little bit more anti-intellectual. And so dad didn't have a great experience in that uh, tradition growing up. And so when he and my mom met in the Air Force, they decided they wanted to go to church as a family when they started a family. And so the Free Will Baptists, I suppose, were their version of meeting in the middle. You'd have to ask them about the details. I have a few questions myself, but honestly, it's not the worst way to try to meet in the middle. I had a really good experience in the Free Will Baptists. uh, But as time went on, my parents wanted me to have a youth group as I got older. And if you know anything about the Free Will Baptists, you know that the tradition is kind of small compared to a lot of other denominations. And so especially in the South, if you want to go to a Baptist church Uh, a Southern Baptist church is probably going to be a better option for you, especially if you want a little bit of a larger church with a youth group and such. And so, and, you know, because of also my mom, I think, was going through some theological convictions that led her to the SBC anyway. At the time, we, we eventually ended up in the SBC, and that's where I spent my more formative years, I guess I could say, and ended up volunteering in camps as a teenager and eventually became a youth pastor, and then I uh, was a senior pastor at a small church in another small town in Arkansas um, for, a, for a short time, I would say, relative to the rest of my ministry experience. Oh, and at this point, I should also say that at the same time that we were going to that freewill Baptist church, I was also going to a private Catholic school, receiving a Catholic education and going to mass at least weekly uh, there at that school. And so I was exposed to Catholicism very early on and had a lot of uh, Catholic friends growing up and have since actually met some Catholic people in my life and been friends with them. Um, As well, we were also going to an Assembly of God church on Wednesday nights. Sometimes I would go with my grandma. Uh, She, on my mom's side, still lived in that same town and was going to an Assembly of God church there. So I was exposed to the Pentecostal movement in that way as well. But, you know, you may be asking, how did you end up in Churches of Christ if you grew up in the Free Will Baptist Church and then you were a pastor in the SBC? Well, we may explore that story and that journey a little bit later, Uh, but for now, just suffice it to say that I had some theological convictions of my own once I got into college. Really, toward the end of college, I, I started to go away from the Baptist tradition altogether, though I still have you know, plenty of friends there. So as far as I go now, I did some undergraduate work in Bible. I did my graduate work in uh, systematic and historical theology that culminated in a thesis. Uh, well, I guess it's technically a capstone for those who want to be technical, but it was 70 pages, so it's the same length as a, a lot of MA thesis theses. But that MA thesis that I, I, the research that I got into was um, on Marcion and Marcionism and exploring the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And really some of those debates that were happening in the early church. And so I did some research in the early church period and in uh, a lot of systematic theology. And so anyway, that was my, my work up through grad school. And then Uh, When I went into the Ph.D. program, I was obviously focusing a lot on systematic theology. It was weird as I got into my dissertation, I got into some philosophy of religion stuff with uh, metaphysics and a little bit of modal logic and such. And so my dissertation is actually more focused on the models of God, which has more to do with metaphysics and philosophy of religion. But anyway, theology. Yeah, but basically, that's what I'm interested in. That's what my education is in. And that is uh, what I do for a living, is teach and preach on theology and uh, minister to people. So I'm also married to Caitlin. I overachieved in that department. Uh, I've got two great kids, Trinity and Malachi. And I've just had a great, a great experience in my life. I've been very blessed. Like I said, a lot of different... Christian backgrounds and and Christians that I've been exposed to. Part of the advantage of being exposed to so many traditions is that I've seen genuinely Christ-like people in every tradition that I've ever been, whether uh, whether it was Catholic or the Assemblies of God or various Baptist traditions and Churches of Christ. Um, so I have an appreciation for a lot of different traditions, even though I don't necessarily agree with all of their conclusions. But, you know, let's be honest, we've got plenty of enemies in the culture as it is. Christians don't need to make other Christians the enemy, at least in my opinion anyway. But one thing that, uh, as we get into more of the question about evangelicalism, one thing that my ministry experience has taught me, and this now spans Three states, Arkansas, Alabama, did about a two and a half year stint in Alabama at a Church of Christ down there before I came here for the last four years. Um, the three states, the nearly a decade now, 10 years, and the various traditions that I've been in, what I have seen in all of these places that I've been in is that evangelicalism, I guess you could say, or evangelical theology has left a lot of people wanting more from their faith. So I talked to younger people and they had some terrible experiences sometimes growing up in church. It's not that the whole thing was bad because obviously, like I said, there's a lot of good Christian people in a lot of these different places, but the things that they are taught, sometimes at least, do not make much sense. And at least it asks them to suspend a lot of logic and reason in the process of learning such teachings uh... so for example one thing that will come up all of the time is that young christians sometimes think they have to believe that um, you know they have to believe the earth is six thousand years old and that's just one example of of many that i could point to and it, it really does it's a hurdle for a lot of people they think i've either gotta believe the earth is six thousand years old or i can't be a christian now those of you who Read theology and are, are listening to podcasts like this. Maybe you haven't been exposed to as much of that, but I can assure you it is out there and they just sometimes don't know any better. But I think there, there's something deeper going on than just like age of the earth stuff in this. I think there's something fundamental about evangelicalism that has left a lot of people wanting more. It's not necessarily just anti-intellectualism on a lot of fronts. Um, it, it also is, is just a lack of seriousness, I think I would say. You see, one advantage that a Catholic would have or an Orthodox would have is that their priests have to go through, uh, at least I think it's an MDiv, before they can become priests at various parishes or congregations. There's no real quality control in in some Protestant denominations, I would say. Some, of course, uh, uh, do some of the mainline and such. But a lot of the what are more considered the evangelical traditions don't necessarily have that same level of quality control. And so sometimes if you're at a, a small church in the middle of nowhere, there's no telling what can be said from the pulpit. And sometimes people will think that, Whatever the guy is saying is true. Uh, Just to give you a couple of examples, I've known a guy who was my age and he thought growing up that, you know, if he missed a Wednesday night and he didn't get back Sunday to take communion, then he would face an eternal conscious torment in hell because he died in a car wreck before he got back to church that Sunday. Little extreme, obviously. Hopefully, a lot of people don't think that way. But that is a real interaction that I've had with somebody who is a pretty normal person by all standards, has a normal job, has a wife, and kids, and all of that. But he sincerely thought that this was the case growing up. Um, And I could, I could, I guess I could go on with all kinds of conversations I've had with people. The whole age of the earth thing comes up. People wonder, you know, can they believe in dinosaurs and and believe in God? Uh, They they see conflicts there. I've also seen that a lot of people face a lack of seriousness within the evangelicalism. Uh, Churches, they look like nightclubs a lot of times. So it's like you're faced with a dichotomy. You've got a church that may look like a nightclub or you've got a church that Tells you you have to believe the you know Earth is six thousand years old. Um, you have to definitely not believe in evolution or anything like that, or God is queer. <laughs> like th- those are those seem to be sometimes the options. Now obviously that's not all of the options, and not all churches are this way. There's many good churches out there. But on the whole, I think if you if you read online, if you talk with people, certainly my anecdotal ministry experience leads me to believe that, that evangelicalism has left many people wanting more. I have close friends even today who they grew up in a particular church that I know of, and they now don't really take Christianity very seriously because of the things they were taught in that church. And I think that that's just so sad because obviously when you look at Christian history, there is a massive, um, just treasure trove of intellectualism. There is a ton of great philosophy. Uh, Christians were often at the forefront of scientific advancement. Uh, It's a shame that Christianity in the culture at large would gain the reputation of being anti-intellectual. But I would be lying to you if I told you that in some ways, we didn't earn it. Uh, I mean, there, there are just some things that are said that don't make much sense. And young people, I can assure you, are listening. I've talked with teenagers. It's the same thing. Young adults, even older people. I've talked to people who have been Christians for 60, 70 years, and they'll tell me, um, something that I you know I taught about or I told them something a little different than what they had heard growing up and they'll say you know I always thought that there was something way off with X y and z but I never thought that I could question it which is another issue. sometimes people don't think that they can ask questions in church. they're not allowed to doubt at all otherwise they don't really have a strong faith. Doubt is seen as the antithesis of faith in some, Evangelical circles. If they come from more of the megachurch stream or the sometimes the non-denominational stream, again not all, but but some, you have the opposite problem. You have the church is a nightclub. Uh, the pastor preaches a sermon, and it's extremely shallow. People have gone to church for years and years, and they haven't really learned much of anything. I can't tell you how many times I see in a, in a Facebook group or something like that, somebody will say, you know, I really wish my pastor, I wish my preacher taught on these things that we discuss in this group. Why do they ask that? Why do they say that? Because, all, not again, not every time, but a lot of times in evangelicalism, they're just simply not getting what people in my tradition growing up would have called meat, Ironically, because we didn't get a ton of meat growing up in in some of the churches that I was in, though there were some, some good Christian people. But certainly there wasn't a lot of intellectualism going on. But a lot of people want more. A lot of people want more from their faith. If all you ever get is shallow teaching, then you will never be able to withstand some of these modern attacks on the Christian faith. The Christian faith will come to be seen as just an elementary thing. Why is it an elementary thing? Well, because in a lot of evangelical churches, you don't ever get past like a fifth grade level sermon. I mean, I've even heard people say you you have to preach as though you are preaching to not just adults, but to fourth graders. And I just, I could not disagree more with that philosophy I think that that philosophy is what has helped to get us in this mess in the first place and really just the question to ask is has this kind of consumer driven evangelicalism this just get them into the door any way you can give them something that's real shallow maybe real practical is oftentimes the word you hear because practical just means like don't get into any kind of theology as though theology can't be practical but Anyway, we'll get into that in, fer- in future episodes. But basically, if all people ever get when they go to church is a fifth grade level sermon and fifth grade level Bible classes, then guess what? Christianity becomes a fifth grade level faith. I mean, that's, it's, it's not hard to comprehend. And has this fifth grade level sermon strategy and fifth grade level Bible study strategy, uh, just eliminate everything down to the lowest common denominator and just try to be inclusive of everyone and, and make everyone feel welcome and all that. Has that actually worked? <laughs> I mean, just on a practical level, has that worked? The answer is no, because you can trace, oh, when did churches start becoming uh, you know kind of similar to uh, nightclubs? Oh, uh, I don't know, 80s and 90s. Well, What has happened to religion, religious adherence, uh, the Christian faith, the Christian faith's reputation since then? Well, it has not improved (laughs) at all, really, since then. Uh, Now, you could say, well, that's... You know, there's a lot of factors involved. Politics is certainly one of them. And I agree there are a lot of factors involved. I'm just simply saying that when people started to get nothing but fifth grade sermons, uh, they were not equipped to handle some of the onslaught that came about from other things like culture and academia and politics and some of the other issues that we may face. uh, They weren't able to respond. And people have not been trained to think deeply about questions of faith. They just want the bare minimum, how do I get from here to there tomorrow and have some practical teaching, and if I don't have that, then uh, I guess I'll go somewhere else. At least that's what some of these church leaders think. I've actually found the opposite. I think a lot of people, not everyone, of course you're never going to make everybody happy, but a lot of people are yearning for more. And so, I don't think it's surprising then that this less serious this uh, this fifth grade level strategy, evangelicalism, has led to a lot of deconversion and what people call deconstruction. The deconversion and the deconstruction, sometimes they're deconstructing their megachurch um, upbringing with the nightclub version of church, uh, where it seems like the pastor is trying to sell them a car. Uh, and sometimes they are deconstructing their very rural upbringing where You know, the pastor may have tried his best, may have been a good man, but wasn't really trained and equipped to handle texts that were written thousands of years ago in different languages that have thousands of years of interpretive history behind them. So um, both versions lead to a deconversion or a deconstruction among many people. And this is no secret. If you look online, there's an entire economy of deconstructionists that make a living, it seems like, uh, tearing down the church and tearing down evangelicalism. Now, to be clear, maybe it seems like that's what I've been doing so far. I do want to say, again, there's I'm very thankful for an upbringing in evangelicalism. It gives you a, a reverence for Scripture. Part of that's, I'm sure, my parents instead of just the church culture at large. But it's, it's it's better than a non-Christian upbringing, I would say, certainly. But we don't have to settle for just a kind of better than a, than a non-Christian upbringing, upbringing. We can have a better version of Christianity. We can, and we just have to achieve it. We have to intentionally go after it. I think some churches have realized this and realized that the, the whole consumer... Driven approach is not working, but some maybe haven't realized that yet. Anyway, this has led to, like I said, a lot of of deconstruction. It's led to misunderstandings of God in the culture. Um, I, I think of things like there there was this there was this guy in Kansas. Um, it's become kind of famous on the internet. The flying spaghetti monster. If you're you've ever been on atheist Reddit forums, at least years ago, the flying spaghetti monster was a common joke, and he's kind of stuck around in in various uh, social media forms. But basically, it went like this. There was a guy who was arguing that Kansas public schools should not teach um, creationism, that they should only teach naturalistic Darwinism. And when I I think they said that, yeah, we're going to teach creationism and evolutionism, uh, then the guy said, well, let's just, uh, I I want to teach the flying spaghetti monster. I want that religion to be taught. I want to teach the flying spaghetti monster. As if, (laughs) as if the flying spaghetti monster is anything like the classical Christian conception of God. As if God is just one being among other beings in the universe, that requires Himself further explanation for His existence. There's other examples of this. Um, you could you could think of a million of them misconceptions in the culture that are a result of bad theology in the church, or just not going deeper than fifth grade level stuff. So. Misconceptions in the culture, a bad reputation sometimes for Christians as being anti-intellectual. There's some good voices out there. I don't mean to say there's not. But overall, I think most people can agree evangelicalism has left some wanting more. Sometimes they feel like they either have to go, if they want the academic theology, they have to go the route of, I don't know, mainline Protestants or somebody like that or an individual theologian or or, or something that may have some good things to say about theology, but they've abandoned historic Christian teaching on things like sexual ethics or abortion or one of those major issues or uh, certainly the new gender debates that are taking place. Sometimes they feel like they've abandoned the historic Christian position on, on gender and sexuality. And if they don't go that route, they have to go the route of more of a fundamentalism that is anti-intellectual. And it's an oversimplification, but that is a dichotomy that many people feel like they they have to face in Protestant churches. Now, some people have chosen to go to Catholicism as there's more of a rigorous intellectual tradition there uh, that doesn't include maybe an abandonment of Christian ethics in, in a lot of regards. Uh, Same thing could be said about uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, though, of course, not as popular here in America. But for those who want to stay Protestant, who can't quite sign off on some of the things that Catholics and Orthodox people teach, um, they're looking for an alternative. And they're looking in a lot of different places. Uh, For example, there are people that, Have on Twitter and such been upset because there are people, there are young men, especially within the Protestant churches, who are being discipled by somebody like Tucker Carlson or Ben Shapiro or Matt Walsh or somebody like that, some conservative political commentator, uh, Jordan Peterson's of the world. And they'll say, you know, why are they being discipled by these uh, non Christians or these people who are just kind of nominally. Christian or who don't really talk about theology a whole lot, and the the reason is because of the dichotomy we just talked about. A, a lot of these young men know that leftism—not to get too political on the on the theology podcast—but leftism is kind of antithetical to young men, um, and, and as well the leftist ideologies that you know teach abortion or gay marriage, or transgenderism, these things that are departures from historic Christian positions. They don't want any part of that, but then they also don't really want any part of the uh, church is a nightclub kind of thing, or any of the anti-intellectualism stuff either. So because of that dichotomy that we've talked about, they look toward other figures, other famous figures, And no, I don't think it's the best thing that they are only discipled by those people, though I don't certainly have a problem with them listening to them. I think that there is a market of people. I am convinced, and this is the reason why we're doing this podcast and the Aletheia Initiative and all of the rest, I am convinced that there is a great number of people out there, men and women, who don't necessarily want the anti-intellectual stuff. But they also don't want the leftism that a lot of more academic theologians find themselves um, influenced by. And so they want a robust Christianity that is not necessarily Catholic or Orthodox. So they want a robust Christianity within the context of evangelicalism, within the context of Protestantism at least non-Catholicism and non-Orthodoxy, and sometimes they struggle to find it. And so what we would like to do is to give an alternative, at least help be one of the voices that can be an alternative to this dichotomy that we've laid out. Now, some maybe have, within evangelicalism, offered an alternative. And this alternative... Seems to be sometimes Reformed theology or Calvinism, to put it more uh, accurately or specifically, I guess I would say. You can be Reformed and not Calvinist, obviously, but a lot of uh, these these famous Christian people that we know of uh, John MacArthur, um, Vadi Bookham, or Butcham, Bacham, maybe, I think is how you say his name. Uh, the, these people that get to go on the big shows, whether it's Fox News or the Daily Wire stuff or whatever it is, they are often reformed. Uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, a very famous host over there at the Blaze TV. These people are Calvinists, but they also a lot of times will hold to at least some semblance of uh, historic Christian teaching when it comes to ethics and whatnot. And so some people have gone down that route. Um, in fact, when I was a young guy who was going to undergrad in, at a Baptist college, if you wanted to go deeper, Quote unquote. Then the you went deeper by becoming a Calvinist. Honestly, that's that's really the 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 Young Baptist version of going deeper. Anyway, is to become a Calvinist because then you have at least some semblance of an intellectual tradition, the Reformed tradition. Uh, you have other people who are teaching theology at you know not a fifth grade level like a lot of the popular uh, Reformed teachers will do, and so sometimes. People will go that route. But I would say, and we'll find out quickly in the subsequent episodes of this podcast, that Calvinism makes absolutely no sense um, for a lot of reasons. And there are a lot of people who don't want to be Calvinists, but yet still find themselves stuck in that dichotomy that we've already pointed out. So I guess to wrap this up, I would say that we desire to be a serious alternative to Reformed theology within the evangelical context, at least using that term sort of loosely evangelical. Uh, Some have been, and there are already some good alternatives to Reformed theology. We want to add our voice into that mix, but we want to do so from more of an academic standpoint and uh, we want to do so from more of a uh, politically conservative standpoint, at least so far as like sexual ethics and abortion and things like that go. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, then please look forward to future episodes of the Christian Theology Podcast. Uh, this has been a production of the Aletheia Initiative. If you so desire, you can go to our website and find out more information about who we are. But until next time, we'll See you soon.